Okay, hello, and welcome back to Cinema at First Sight. I am pretty sure this is episode two. To be honest, I've kind of been recording them all over the place, but you know, let's just call it episode two for now. If this is your first time tuning in, then welcome. And the premise of this podcast is basically I will watch the pilot episode of a TV show or the first half of a movie, pause it, and give my review without the context of the rest of the series or the rest of the movie. It's a stupid concept, I understand that, but I wanted to do something different, something to differentiate me from the rest of the good podcasts, so this is my choice and I'm sticking with it for now. I am fresh from watching the first hour and 15 minutes of Wonder Woman 1984, so I guess let's just jump straight into it. The first question I have for myself is, is this a rewatch or is this a first time watch? This is definitely 100% a first time watch, considering that the day I'm recording this is the 27th of December, and in Australia the film came out on the 26th of December. If I were a DC fan, that may not guarantee that this is a first time watch, but I'm not exactly the biggest DC stan or the biggest Marvel stan, to be fair. I don't really have a preference of one over the other, I just don't really see movies from either conglomerate. However, I did go and see the first Wonder Woman in 2017, so I'm not going into this completely blind. And, you know, to be honest, I didn't love the first one. I mean, I didn't hate it or dislike it even. I just feel like it didn't live up to the hype. Everyone was praising it as this big feminist film. And I'm like, really? Because it stars a woman, it's feminist? Okay, Hollywood. Also, full disclosure, I definitely did fall asleep halfway through the first one. Anyway, back to Wonder Woman 1984. I'm just going to go through the film's plot points in kind of extreme detail so far, so if you haven't seen Wonder Woman 1984, or at least the first half of it, I would recommend going and watching it and then coming back to this podcast. So the film begins with a flashback to some kind of gladiator games with an Amazonian mentor and a child who I'm just going to go out on a limb and assume is young Gal Gadot, and it honestly goes for far too long. But now, we're in 1984. The fashion, incomparably iconic. Wonder Woman's out and about doing some low-level hero duties, like saving pedestrians and stopping klutzy brides from falling off bridges. And even though she clearly seems to be thriving professionally, she begins looking at photos of all of her family and friends, so we begin to feel sorry for lonely Wonder Woman because all of her loved ones are hella dead. Now, enter a seemingly nerdy, klutzy, and awkward Kristen Wiig as scientist Barbara. She meets Wonder Woman at the Smithsonian, and Barbara goes about her day but is clearly a wallflower and easily forgotten by literally every single member of staff. It's sad times, but Barbara and Wonder Woman stumble across a weird-looking artifact that can apparently grant people their greatest wish. Diana does hold it for a red hot second and say that she knows what she'd wish for and if you've seen the first movie, I think you and I both know it's for dead Chris Pine to become an alive one. But after that, Wonder Woman invites Kristen Wiig slash Barbara to an early dinner and they bond and talk about Barbara's lack of popularity and their past loves, aka dead Chris Pine. But on her way home, Barbara is almost attacked by a creepy guy in a park, but luckily is saved by Diana who apparently seems to be everywhere at all times. Barbara then heads back to work in the middle of the night and wishes to the weird artifact that she too could be like Diana, even though they met that morning. The specific adjectives she uses, yes I fully took notes in the middle of the cinema, are strong, sexy, cool, and special. 
this is literally a hop, skip, and jump away from 30 flirty and thriving from suddenly 30, but that's okay, moving on. She then falls asleep and wakes up at work in the same clothes, but suddenly everyone knows her name. She's no longer klutzy, and people are full-on complimenting her appearance. Some famous guy from TV named Maxwell Lord then rocks up and specifically requests to meet her. TBHE seems dodge, and also seems to have his eye on the artifact. Ulterior motives all round. And you can tell Diana's not buying it. And, you know, clearly she shouldn't be buying it, because in the next scene, Maxwell heads to work, where we see that he has a bunch of unpaid bills, and his office is completely deserted. But Maxwell hasn't lost all hope yet. He's there with his kid, Alistair, and promises him that basically they'll be rich soon, so clearly a bro does have an ulterior motive. Meanwhile, Barbara goes shopping and gets a hardcore glow up and heads to some sort of Smithsonian benefit. Wonder Woman and Maxwell are already there and Maxwell starts getting all flirty with Barbara and asks to head to her office. He then pretends to hook up with her but actually starts snooping around and offers to have a friend in antiquities take a look at the weird artifact before not so discreetly swiping it. Then, some random guy approaches Diana and says that he wishes they had more time, which I'm going to go out on a limb and assume is something that Chris Pine slash Steve said in the first movie at some point, when I must have been asleep, and they have a moment. He then somehow transforms into Chris Pine, however I'm assuming that this physical transformation is purely psychological on Diana's part, but nevertheless they start going for it. They reunite and head back to the random apartment of the man whose body Steve woke up in. I don't fully get it either. Um, Then when he looks in the mirror he still looks like the other guy, so I guess we're just seeing him as Chris Pine because Chris Pine's a bigger name and they want to give him more screen time. Diana then says, all I see is you, so I guess that's the only explanation for this that we're getting. Maxwell then makes a wish to be the dream stone itself. The stone becomes sand, there's some hell or wind, and now apparently he has been imbued with the power of the artifact. Maxwell then gets his assistant to wish for more people and now has a full team of minions. Now we cut from this pivotal moment to an extensive montage of Chris Pine discovering 80s life. He's introduced to Pop-Tarts and tacky fashion and learns how to use an escalator and travel on a train. Meanwhile, Barbara wakes up with next level strength. She's also now a social butterfly at work and doesn't need glasses anymore, which is always a telltale movie sign that she's blown up. Steve and Diana eventually rock up at work and when she asks Barbara about the stone, Barbara says that she gave it to Maxwell. Obviously, Diana's freaked out and she and Steve go to look for Max in his office where they see he's got a bunch of articles on the artifact and has clearly been looking for it for ages. The premeditation is off the charts. But then Chris Pine is like, don't worry, babe, I'll fly us to Cairo to investigate, even though the last plane he piloted literally crashed and resulted in his straight up death. He was then like, the way I fly, they'll never find us. I'm sorry, but that's not exactly comforting, bro. If someone said that to me, I would not get in a vehicle with them, hands down. But they do steal a plane from somewhere important, to be honest, I don't quite know. And they successfully take off on a cute romantic Egyptian getaway. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where we call it a day. I need a breather. That was a lot of talking with minimal breaks. So the next little question I have for myself is what is my favorite slash most exciting slash most pivotal moment? I think obviously the most pivotal and most important moment is either when we discover that the stone actually works so Chris Pine comes back from the dead and Kristen Wiig is now like a strong confident woman 
or when Maxwell becomes the stone and starts ruining the world. I think both of them are pretty integral to the plot. And on the flip side, my least favourite moment would probably have to be the extensive opening sequence, which at this point seems completely irrelevant. And another non-pivotal moment are those long montages of Chris Pine discovering the modern world and trying on 80s fashion, but also at the same time I love it. And to be honest, they're kind of my favourite part of the whole movie, and I would watch a spin-off of just that. So I'm not complaining that it's not important. So, so far my favourite characters? I guess Barbara. She's a quirky queen. She's underestimated, and you, you've always got to love an underdog. Also, it's Kristen Wiig. She's absolutely killing it. I would definitely like to start a petition to include Kristen Wiig in all big blockbuster movies from now on. I have a feeling her character may become evil later and therefore may lose her spot on this list, but at the moment we stand. And I guess my other favourite character would be Wonder Woman. I mean, trait-wise, she's a strong, independent queen, there's no denying that. Like, yeah, she's kind of boring, but there is no arguing that those are admirable qualities. Also, in terms of Gal Gadot's performance, she's not the best actress I've ever seen. She's kind of one note and a little bit bland, but also who cares because, oh my god, she's literally stunning. Like, it's insane. She looks sculpted, literally superhuman, which is obviously why she was cast. And to be honest, that's what I spent most of the film so far focusing on. And my least favourite character, obviously, Maxwell Lord. He's a super dodge guy who, yes, was given a kid to give him some semblance of humanity, but I'm sorry, it's not working for me. He just straight up sucks. He uses Queen Kristen to steal an artifact and take over the world, and that's just, like, not cool first date behaviour. I don't care if he has a kid who he needs to provide for. Like, just be better at your job and earn more money the legal and sane way. And spare Kristen's feelings. Justice for Miss Wig. Now some storylines I think will be expanded upon or that I think should be expanded upon are Barbara's character development. I want to see what happens there. Will she become more awful or evil? Or alternatively, will she become the hero? I think most likely the former, especially based on the trailer, but I'd love to see the latter. I want Kristen Wiig to take over the franchise. I also want to see her use her newly gained powers more, and just to hand it to the patriarchy that tried to take advantage of her, like a revenge of the nerds type situation. I want to be able to use the words of the Jonas Brothers and say, oh, how the tables have turned. I'd also definitely like to see a reason for Chris Pine to actually be in the movie. So far apart from being some occasional comedic relief, as well as an actual obstacle and distraction for Wonder Woman, he's done nothing helpful except for fly a plane. Actually, I guess that's kind of important, but also not because in the age of autopilot, is that really strictly necessary? I know nothing about plane travel, maybe it is. Moving on, I also want to know how they're going to turn the stone back into what it originally was instead of a literal person. Like, how do you extract that kind of power from a human being and turn it back into an object? I don't know. I guess the rest of the movie will tell us, hopefully. And also I want to know, why did Maxwell choose to become the stone? I just think that's such a weird choice. Who looks at a slab of rock and says, goals, I want that to be me. Especially one that relies on other people to make wishes in order for anything to be fulfilled. Like, as the stone, he can't even grant his own wishes. He could have just asked to be an all-powerful being with the ability to make anything he wants happen and materialize. Or he could have just wished for an endless supply of money and solved all of his financial problems and not been evil for literally no reason. I don't know. That would probably make for a more boring movie, but I think I might have enjoyed it more. It's the realism for me. 
I also want to know what the extensive opening montage has to do with the film or if it was completely irrelevant. If it's the latter, what a weird cinematic and storytelling choice. It's not like this movie needs to be any longer. And what I want to see less of, I, I guess I want to see less of Max's success because he sucks. Now the next little bullet point that I like to ask myself is what are the most problematic moments? It does say in brackets if applicable, so this may not always be the case. And so far there aren't really any big red flags. I mean, I guess low-key the basic idea of one girl being overshadowed by another one based on how they look is a bit problematic, but also I guess that's just more me not liking the basic Disney-esque tropes than a sign of some un-PC additions. I also guess Diana's response to Barbara's insecurities could have used some work. Like, Barbara was bearing her soul at dinner and being like, I'll never be as good as you, you're perfect. And in response, Diana didn't correct her. She was just like, actually, I think we all have problems. She could have instead been like, stop it, you're amazing, love yourself, and built them both up instead of bringing them both down. But I get it. Self-esteem do be a complicated minefield. Actually, also now that I think about it, why was Diana's greatest and single wish for some random boy to come back after decades? And how about world peace? Or solving world hunger? Or even something to do with her own interests instead of having her happiness solely depend on whether or not she has a boyfriend? And now we're getting down to some of the final questions. What category of viewing is this? The three I have listed for myself are trash, treasure, or guilty pleasure. Purely they're the three categories I've created because they rhyme. I would say that Wonder Woman 1984 straddles the line between guilty pleasure and treasure for me. Is it in the same boat as other guilty pleasure movies like uh, The Kissing Booth or even The Room? Definitely not. But also, is it a nuanced cinematic masterpiece? Also no. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's definitely closer to the treasure category because I don't feel remotely guilty for saying that I am enjoying it so far. Do I feel basic? 100%, but guilty, no. <laughs> And viewing style, so who would I watch it with, where would I watch it, and who would I not watch it with, and who is the least and most ideal viewing circumstance? I think it's a relatively family-friendly movie. Yeah, it's rated M15+, and I think there might be some mild swearing in it and some highly stylized violence, but there's nothing too graphic or confronting, and it's entertaining enough to hold the attention of children, and also good enough for adults to be interested. I could definitely see this being a big hit in a group setting, because it is such a long movie, there obviously isn't dialogue happening the entire time, and it's not <laughs> the most complicated plot to follow, so if someone talks through bits, you'll definitely be able to keep up with what's happening. Yeah, I think the most ideal viewing circumstance would be a family setting or a large group of socially distanced friends. So least ideal, I guess, viewing it alone? But also I just realised that is exactly how I watched it, so honestly ignore me. Will I keep going with the rest of the film? I definitely will. I'm lured. I want to see what happens next. I could probably guess what happens pretty accurately, but nevertheless, I want to keep going. It's a fun time. And finally, what would I rate it out of five? I'm gonna say a 2.5 slash 3 out of 5. That sounds like kind of a harsh rating, but I am saying this in the grand scheme of all movies and TV shows. So a solid like 50%, that's pretty good. It's a good, fun time so far. That, of course, is kind of basic and definitely panders to the masses, but sometimes you need that. It's definitely enjoyable and lures you in almost immediately as soon as you get past that weird, extensive triathlon opening flashback. 
yeah, I'd recommend you go out and give it a watch. Not that my recommendation is needed because I am sure that it's going to be an insane box office success that breaks all kind of records. And I think that is where I leave you with this review. Thank you for listening. Hopefully you got something out of it. If you haven't gone to see it and have just endured major spoilers, I am so sorry. But yeah, I think it's a solid film and I will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.